0: Well, good morning, everyone. Go ahead and find a seat. There's a there's a handout in the back, and uh, today you're going to need a pin to to fill in the blanks. It's done on purpose so you don't fall asleep. And uh, but there's a basket of pins back there if you need one. Um, so. Th- So grab a uh, worksheet if you don't have one. We are quickly coming to the end of our Discipleship and Change series. This is actually next week will be the, the the last session of that. And Rick and Myra will conclude that. That'll be next Sunday. This morning we're going to be talking about instruction and homework. Of course, this would be in the context of what we've been talking about in counseling and discipleship. And we've now come to the point of action in the whole discipleship and change process. This particular lesson is meant to be very, very practical. Uh, My goal is to simply give you some tools to work with. They're kind of, I I guess, sort of how-to checklists. And hopefully you'll you, you'll leave here this morning with some useful tools to use in your own discipleship and or counseling process. But but this entire series is has been a learning and growing process. It's going to be the same with today in these these principles that I, I that I give you. And even as I've been preparing, I've I've been reminded how many times I've really. Failed at applying some of these principles myself. So it's a good reminder to me as, as I've been going through this and studying and to excel still more in some of these areas. I do want to give a few disclaimers before I start. First, I'm, I, you need to know that I'm approaching this lesson assuming that, that you're all in at least in general agreement with everything that's been taught over the last couple months regarding discipleship and change. So, there is that assumption going into this. Um, Second, I'm purposefully not trying to develop or defend specific counseling philosophies. Uh, Hopefully, that stuff has already been done. And whether you agree with it or not, that was the point of what's already been done. I'm, I'm not even trying to um, defend or teach any kind of doctrinal position this morning. Again, that's, we've already hit on that before. Uh, so that's not the purpose of why, what I'm here for this morning. And then third, I've structured the content of the lesson to be very practical, as I've already said. This particular lesson isn't so much about Bible study or or defense as much as as it is the application of the bible study that we've already gone through together so this is kind of a, uh, an outflow of the biblical content of the lessons that have all the lessons that have come to this point prior to this week so you need to understand that as you as we as we start th- and work through this and i think you're going to i think you're going to understand as we as we get into it And also, I want to give credit to and thanks to Heath Lambert, who taught Kathy and I much of of what we learned in the whole whole process of Association of Certified Biblical Counselor training when we did it uh, years ago. So, let's go ahead and get started uh, with what we're going to be talking about today. After you've come to understand people, and after you've developed some kind of analysis about... What their problem is or, or issue going on in their life, after you've acu- uh, cultivated a loving relationship with them, and after you've given them hope, which we've all talked about in prior weeks, now comes the work of instruction. And as we talk about instruction, I want to say that it's really a key component of the whole discipleship and change process. So the first thing that's important to admit in, in a true uh, biblical counseling and discipleship is that instruction is present. Instruction is present and that instruction is biblical instruction. We actually teach the Bible in this process. It's kind of weird to have to say that to... Here at church, but the the Bible is an integral part of the process of biblical discipleship, of biblical counseling. We use the Bible to move a believer toward the goal of becoming an obedient follower of Christ, and we call this the ministry of the Word. We often think of ministry of, of the Word as what a preacher does. As what a teacher does when they stand up in front of a room with, with people like this and talk about the Bible. And that certainly would be the ministry of the Word. That's the public ministry of the Word. But the Bible teaches us that there are other manifestations of the ministry of the Word. One manif- manifestation beyond the public ministry of the Word is what we would call the private ministry of the Word. This is where you're pouring over the pages of scripture. This is where you're you're praying to develop a closer relationship with the Lord. You're, You're confessing your sins. This is where you're using the Bible to make you more like Christ as you depend on him in prayer. So there's the public ministry of the word in preaching and teaching. There's a private ministry of the word in what we understand is our devotional time with the Lord. It's it's our quiet time. But then there's also the personal ministry of the Word. The personal ministry of the Word. And and this is what we've been focusing on all summer. This is one-to-one. It's face-to-face conversations, using the Bible to inform our conversations about about a specific person's life context. It's listening to their words to make sense of them and filtering that through the grid of the Bible. It's talking about and through matters that have eternal significance. And it's when we use the Bible to inform our language as we speak to them, it's, it's speaking the truth in love. It's all a ministry of the word. It's teaching how to rightly divide the word of truth, whether it's public in a, in a room full of people, private in our devotional time with the Lord, or personal as we sit around a table in an office or at Starbucks. It's all the same. It just happens in different modes, but it's all the ministry of the word. So the first thing we can say about counseling and and or discipleship instruction is that it is present. We are giving biblical instruction to people. In Acts 20:20, Paul says he did not he did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable for teaching you in public and from, and from house to house. Public and from house to house. Here the Apostle Paul is reminding the elders at Ephesus of the, of the kind of labor that he had with them. We see this with Paul in his relationship with the Thessalonians, and now we're seeing it in his relationship with the Ephesians. He's saying, I proclaimed the Word, and I proclaimed the Word to you in public and from house to house. The personal ministry of the Word is what we call, uh, what we, we would call the house to house ministry of the Word. Acts 20 is also the basis for R- Richard Baxter's book, The Reformed Pastor, where he talks about his ministry in Kidderminster several hundred years ago. He's said to have had 15 to 16 families a week in his home, so he could minister to all 800 families in his church at least once a year. He spent roughly an hour with each family, scheduled back-to-back during the morning hours. And he said he found more outward signs of success than with most than from publicly preaching to them. Because in the context of that kind of conversation, you can hear the details of a person's struggle, and apply the gospel more particularly. And the Apostle Paul is describing his ministry as having a public element and a personal element. But he makes it clear that this personal ministry of the Word is not for pastors or apostles alone, but also for any person. He says of the Romans in Romans 15, 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. The language of one another is counseling. It's it's discipleship. It's what what, what you do with each other as you live the Christian life. It's working through issues of sin and suffering together. It's personal, prayerful, Change oriented and Christ focused conversations with one another. And you could point to multiple, multiple, multiple scripture passages um, that point that out. Together, speaking truth, providing accountability, and praying. This was really controversial when the biblical counseling movement was just getting started back in the, the 1960s because it was the same time that Carl Rogers and his client-centered or person-centered therapy was really popular. Rogerian Counseling assumes that the counselor shouldn't say very much. And the reason the counselor shouldn't say very much is because of what he, he believed about what was wrong with people and, and how to help. The belief was that people who have counseling problems knew how to help themselves, that, that people had the answers to their problems already somewhere deep inside of them, and if the counselor spoke too much, they would just mess up what the person already knew about how to help themselves. It was non-directive, ask questions, make references to things, but encourage them to talk you're not supposed to say very much. And it was very popular in the 60s. It's, it's still interesting how controversial it is even today. And this form of counseling, and I would say even this form of discipleship is still used today. Even Christian psychologists tend to be concerned with biblical counseling and discipleship in that it's, it's really just too directive The whole biblical counseling world is too directive and it just emphasizes instruction. So the main component of our biblical discipleship and biblical counseling is is this. It is is instructional. The reason we emphasize instruction is because the Bible emphasizes it. The Bible isn't just a fill-in-the-blank book There's instruction because God thinks that in our trouble, there are things we need to know. So he gives his word, then he gives ministers of the word, like preachers and counselors and each other, the directive to go and teach his words. So instruction is present, instruction is also authoritative. God's word is the basis of our instruction. It's our best. It, it really is our best pitch. Actually, um, it's more than that. It, it's really all we have. We've already devoted Sunday school classes this summer, uh, a whole entire summer preaching series to the authority and sufficiency of God's word. So we're not gonna. We're not gonna try to do anything more with that. It is the final authority for the believer, God's Word. The biblical counseling and discipleship movement gets critiqued sometimes because the criticism is that we don't think anything's true unless there's a Bible verse for it. And, And that's not true. God gives common grace to everyone. Unbelievers can know true things. Unbelievers can make true observations about how people work, but what's interesting is that never are those words authoritative. And when secular counselors are the most helpful and get the most right is when they sound most like the Bible. And when they get the most wrong and the least helpful is seems to be when they are the least like the Bible. So, as Christians, we need to study the scriptures and just say what God says. Instruction is present, instruction is authoritative, but we also need to say it's balanced. This is a word that Pastor Rick doesn't like, balanced. And uh, so, let let me just tell you what I mean by that. We do give instruction. And the basis of that instruction is God's Word. But we don't only speak, we engage in conversation. This is where counseling or discipleship is different than preaching or teaching. When, when Pastor Rick, what, what he will do later is public ministry of the Word, right? He will stand here and he will preach from right here God's Word but it's almost impossible for him to preach conversationally. There will be in this building, in this big room here, I don't know, 400 people or so. So it's just not possible for him to engage in a meaningful, fruitful conversation with all of you while he's preaching. When we disciple or counsel, there's, there's a name attached to it. There's a real person. There's a name. There's an address. There's a real concern with a specific situation. So by definition, the public ministry of the Word that Rick will do is a monologue given to a large group of people as he works through the biblical text. Now, I mean, it's it's obviously more than that, but for our purposes, that's that's what it is. But that's not the way it is with counseling and discipleship. The limitation of the public ministry of the Word is that the proclamation of truth is general. It's given in general. It has general examples, and it applies general truth. There's instruction, but the instruction is, is general. So giving instruction when, a, when we disciple or counsel takes listening, and that takes a conversation. The the instruction really is a two-way street. There's instruction, but it's not all instruction. The other person has a voice. The other person is giving information and responding to instruction. There's going to be times when we'll say, I'm listening to you. It seems to me like what you're struggling with is this. Is that right? And there... They will have to say yes or no or maybe. But their answers do matter to us. We're not omniscient. We don't have some magical insight on what's going on. We don't have information other than what we've been given. The Lord is omniscient, not us. So we have to ask questions, we have to get feedback. We have to make sure we're under, we're, we are understanding the issues. they are going to have to have a voice in building a relationship. Instruction is not just information download. We talk and we care for people. Sometimes our instruction includes just hanging out, asking how you're doing, but this is a relationship. It's not a sermon. It's not a teaching outline. We've got to allow room in our instruction to say, you are a person, you do matter, your problems are important, and your joys are important. We can sit and listen because this is a relationship. So, instruction is present. Instruction is authoritative and instruction is balanced. Now, I want to give you some essential elements of biblical instruction. These are, uh, there's 10, there are going to be 10 of them. Uh, certainly, they may not, there, there may be more that could be added to this, but 10 essentials when giving good biblical instruction. If you're going to be or have been meeting with someone at McDonald's or Starbucks or or somewhere else, to encourage one another to bear each other's burdens, to talk about life on life issues or problems associated with sin and suffering. These are ins- are essential elements that that you'll want to include when you're giving instruction. This is where the practical comes into play. This is This is the hands-on stuff, okay? Number one, the Bible should be on display. The Bible should be on display. Now, I want to be careful. I'm not saying if you're in the, in the supermarket and you're talking to somebody that seems to be stressed out, you know, and you have a moment to stop and encourage them or point them to Christ, that you have to run to your car and get your Bible and come in and and open it up and and do that. I'm not saying that. You don't even necessarily have to pull your iPhone up and find your Bible app. I'm not saying that there's, there's never any point where you might just reference the Bible and that would be wrong. It's not the point of what I'm trying to say here. What I am saying is that as a general rule, when giving instruction, it's really great to instruct from an actual Bible. It seems old-fashioned nowadays, but it really is great to do that. And the reason is that because we want to make a, we want to make a statement about the Bible. It's very easy for, for people to come to trust you. It's very easy for people to be really interested in what you think. It's really possible for people to think your opinion is the one that matters. And so in giving biblical instruction, we want to be constantly dislocating the spotlight from ourselves and relocating it to God. You don't want to train people to just learn how to listen to your opinions. Good counseling, good discipleship, like good preaching, trains people to be good students of the Bible. You want people to learn how to find answers where you found them and see what you see. Number two, rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide the word of truth. This is basically saying, use great care in biblical interpretation. Listen, it's just as important that we rightly interpret the word of truth in counseling and discipleship as it is in preaching. It is. We can't play games with the text. We must interpret it correctly. And if we're, if we're really going to be serious about counseling, if we're really going to be serious about discipleship, then it's not enough to just read verses. We have to know what they mean. So we have to devote ourselves to being students of the Bible. My appeal here today is that we would be men and women who are devoted to a study of the Scriptures because... It's got to be from an overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. If we're not storing up the word of truth, we're not going to be able to speak it. We're not going to be able to give proper instruction when people need it. So rightly divide the word of truth. Number three. It must be specific, not general. It must be specific and not general. The instruction must be specific and not general to the actual problem at hand. So let me give you an example. Let's say that Rick is preaching through Matthew, and he's just preached a sermon on Matthew 5. Someone comes to me and says that he's really struggling with a lust issue. We set up an appointment, and during the appointment I listen, then I say, I know how to help you and I download Rick's sermon, I give him the outline that we put on the slides here, and I say, here you go. I'm just giving him general instruction if I do that. Instead of listening to him, taking the truth of God's word and pressing that into the grooves of his particular struggle I've just regurgitated some general facts that might cover the generalities of this particular problem. That's all I've done. We're not just giving general biblical information in this, we're trying, we're really trying to figure out what exactly is going on in the person's life and how exactly the truths of Scripture are relevant. Uh, one way to do this um, is to look for what's, what's called kind of ripple effect issues, ripple issues. So when you're talking to someone about sig- a significant issue, and then you also find other issues that are really kind of ripple effects of the main issue, um, that's what that is. So here's an example that they gave us at our ACBC training of a ripple issue. The example is of a married couple that's struggling because they disagree all the time about most everything, okay? And they said it's probably not best to talk with them about general principles for conflict resolution in a general sense, in the same way that you would, uh, like, preach a sermon generally, just generally. However, it's also impossible to talk about every single argument and work through it. So in trying to be specific in our instruction, we can try to find this, this ripple issue. So we would find a recent argument that they both remember. We try to walk through it kind of frame by frame. How did it start, what happened, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then we can apply biblical truth to each specific step of, of that conflict progression. And the point was that learning how to help by applying biblical truth to that specific issue will help to learn how to apply those same principles to other issues. And so we're looking, we're we're trying to get down to the specific in, in trying to help them understand how to apply the Bible to specific areas. So that's one way to avoid generalities and, and be specific. Number four, it must proceed at an appropriate pace. It must proceed at an appropriate pace. Now remember, this is, this is we've done all of this work up to this point of giving instruction, so this is what we're talking about right now. Essentials of that part of the process. It must proceed at an appropriate pace. Don't give more instruction than a person can handle. Don't go too fast. It's interesting in John 16, 12, Jesus says, I have many things to teach you, but you can't bear them. It's it's kind of the same principle. Jesus was wise enough to know it's better to hold off on some things. It was just too much for them to understand at that moment. It's hard to do, though. You want to help people. You don't want to leave people with things that are still unsettled. I get that. It's hard. But as hard as it may be, as uncomfortable as it might seem, it's usually best to plan on dealing with just one issue at a time. Back in the mid-'80s, I I used to listen to um, Salty. Remember Salty? Salty. It was this big blue songbook, Salty the Songbook. And Salty sang a song called One Step at a Time. And the words went something like this, when something seems too hard to handle, too big to conquer, too far to touch, when deep inside you're hurting, that's when it's time to say, I'm climbing my mountain one step at a time with Jesus by my side. It's a really cheesy song, but, 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 the, but the main point of the song is, is, is one step at a time. When, we, when it comes to counseling and discipling each other, instruction needs to be given at an appropriate pace, one step at a time, as you work through the issues of life together. Number five emphasize putting on and putting off principles. Emphasize putting on and putting off principles. This is the Bible's method of change. This is the Bible's method of change. Galatians 3, Romans 6, Ephesians 4. Change is not about the things you stop doing. Change is about the good things that you start doing in its place. We tend to be really good at pinpointing areas of difficulty. We can be actually experts at identifying where people are messing up, can't we? We're really good at that. But we normally struggle to help people really change. I don't know if you remember Bob Newhart, but he had this, this counseling spoof uh, and it was called, just stop it. Just stop it. It's not just stop it. Um, it's, it's not just stop doing what you're doing and tell God you're sorry for doing that. It's not, but, but what is the good thing you're going to do in its place? That's the issue. Not just don't let the sun go down on your anger, but also be reconciled. Speak the truth in love. It's not just quit stealing, but work hard and give. What is the good thing by grace that you're going to put in the place of the sin. It's discouraging. It's it's really even hopeless to people when our instruction turns into just do's and don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Repent of this. Repent of that. Make sure the instruction you give includes both putting off and putting on. Number six. Distinguish between biblical demands and counselor or discipler suggestions. In other words, biblical demands and you, your suggestions. Distinguish between biblical demands and the, uh, the counselor or discipler suggestions. Remember... This is biblical counseling. This is biblical discipleship. This isn't the time or place to give our personal opinions about things. What do you tell a young woman who comes to you about an issue she's having with her weight? She's self conscious about her physical appearance because her mother in law is on her case and telling her she's too heavy. She doesn't feel like she overeats, her husband says she looks fine, but her mother-in-law continually nags her about it, and she's trying to figure out what to do and how to think differently about this. How in that situation do you distinguish between biblical demands and your suggestions? If we start by giving our suggestions, we end up giving suggestions based on government food pyramids, diets like South Beach, Atkins, Weight Watchers, Whole30, carb-protein ratios, supplement and fiber intake, and a 100 other things. But if we talk about what the Bible says about eating, We see that it never talks about digits on a scale, ever. Or waist size. The Bible talks about things like self-control, thankfulness, the glory of God, joy. So, listen, before you send me emails this week disagreeing with me on this, I'm not saying that you should never talk about diets or carb, protein, fiber ratios, it's okay to give suggestions. But when you do, you have to be careful to distinguish your suggestions from biblical demands. If the Bible says eat with self-control, then giving suggestions of how to do that, and it might be one of those diets, it's, it's okay. But we need to be careful that we don't substitute our way For God's way. Because as soon as we do that, we're not really counseling or discipling or giving giving biblical instruction anymore. So we need to be careful about that. Number seven, emphasize hands and heart. Counseling, uh, emphasize hands and heart. Or another way of saying that is behavior and motivation. Counseling and discipleship instruction must emphasize hands and heart. We tell people what to do. This is counseling, discipleship instruction. We tell people what to do because God tells people what to do. Romans 6, quit offering your bodies to sin. Offer your bodies to God. Romans 13, don't engage in sexual immorality. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Ephesians 4, quit lying. Start telling the truth. Quit being bitter. Start being forgiving. Listen, the Bible tells us to do things. The Bible gives us commands. And it's not legalism. Legalism is when you do one of two things. When you make up rules that God didn't make up, like you must use the South Beach diet. Or when you think keeping the rules can save you. But misusing works is not a reason to ignore works. Works are crucial in the Bible. You're saved by works. It's just not your works. It's Jesus' works. And then Jesus works to empower you to obey. The reality of the gospel is that because of Jesus' works, all your sins are forgiven. Not because of your works. Not because of anything you did or could do. But another gospel reality is that you now have the ability to obey. Dr. Zemek, he's the uh, academic dean of the, uh, at the Expositor Seminary. He was with, here, with us during our summer preaching series. He makes the statement our doing is based on God's done's. Our doing is based on God's done's. It's very true. So we care about what people do and we care about their motivations. Their motivations are their heart orientation to Jesus. We're giving instruction that encourages a change in behavior and motivation. We're encouraging people to do things and we're encouraging people to believe things. The best way to get at the heart of a person is to ask this question. You've heard Pastor Rick Say, uh, make this statement as well. Uh, I think it's actually from Stuart Scott. What do you want so badly that I'll sin to get it and, I, and I'll sin if I don't get it? What do you want so badly that you'll sin to get it and you'll sin if you don't get it? The answer to that question speaks to the motivation of the heart. And that's an area where they'll need to ask Jesus to forgive That's an area where they'll need to ask Jesus to change motivations. That's an area where they'll need to ask Jesus for grace to behave in new ways. Gets us to number eight. We must emphasize the gospel. We must emphasize the gospel. We give instruction and tell people what to do. But we only tell people what if, if we only tell what people tell people what to do, we're just behaviorists. That's all we are. Actually, if we only tell people what to do, we're we're really acting like unchristians. We, the counselor or disciple that's striving to be biblical, don't get to talk about people's lives ever, we don't get to talk about people's lives ever without respect to Jesus Christ. When we are committed to talking about people's lives and the gospel, I think it's essentially going to mean we're going to be saying three things. First, we're going to say, Jesus loves you so you can be forgiven. Jesus loves you, so you can be forgiven. Everything you ever did, every sin you ever committed, everything that separates you from the Father, Jesus loves you, and you are forgiven when you place your faith in Him. Sweet words. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's great, isn't it? You're forgiven. Second, we're going to say, Jesus loves you, so you can obey. Jesus loves you, so you can obey. You have the Spirit of God within you. He will work in your life the same way He worked in Jesus' life. You can obey. You don't have to say, I I just can't. I just can't stop gossiping. You can stop gossiping. You don't have to say, I can't forgive my husband. You can forgive your husband. You don't have to say, I can't stop my anger outbursts you can stop them. You don't have to be enslaved by any sin. You just don't don't have to be enslaved. You just have to trust Jesus. You can't do it on your own. Jesus loves you, and you are forgiven. Jesus loves you, and you can obey. Third, Jesus loves you, and you're not alone. Jesus loves you, and you're not alone. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Never. Never. From the day you believe to 500 trillion years from now and 550 trillion after that and then eternity of of eternities more, you'll never, ever be alone. So when you're scared, Jesus is with you. When you're being oppressed, Jesus is with you. And it's a great thing that Jesus is with you because he loves you and he has power to help you. When I was preparing this lesson, And as I really started thinking through this specific point on the gospel, uh, an old hymn kept popping into my head. And I was was doing it and and, and working through this and thinking through this, uh, even singing at some times through this hymn. It was written back in 1941. And the words go like this. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, He addeth His mercy, mercy. To multiplied trials our multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has gone, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving, it's only begun. For His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth. And he giveth. And he giveth again. And so this is what we get to say. This is our joy to say. When we give instruction, we emphasize the gospel. Number nine, I, I need to go fast. It must be practical. It must be practical. Many times when we give instruction, we, th- we say things that are good but really don't mean anything. Let me give you an example. When my youngest son was really young, six or seven, he was a risk taker. He was very active into everything. He would never sit still, always doing something. Actually, I think that lasted until he married Miranda and had a kid of his own. But when he was young, he would jump off the steps. He would see he would he would climb up the steps, see how many he could get to, jump as far as he could down the steps on the floor without hurting himself. He would jump over the furniture, over the coffee table to see how far he could jump. He would run as fast as he could in the house. He would do this until he got hurt, which honestly was about every time. And Jake would have to experience pain. Oh, wait, I just said it, didn't I, Jake? Jake would have to experience pain before he would stop. So, I would say, be careful. What does that mean, be careful? It, I'm just telling you, it doesn't really mean anything. It means I feel like I need to say something. I, I, I want you to be careful. And he would say, okay, Dad, watch this. And then he would jump. <laughs> And he would land face first into the coffee table. And he lived with bruises all over his face all his young, his childhood. And be careful, it didn't mean anything. It sounded good. It's the thing you're supposed to say. I really did mean, mean it. It just wasn't effective. So don't come to me with parenting questions, I guess, right? Here are some things we tend to say when we give instruction. Just believe the gospel. Great. I mean, that's a good thing. I'm for believing in the gospel. I know you are. But the person you're giving instruction to probably doesn't. And if they really knew what it meant, they probably wouldn't be talking to you. Here's another one. You need to read your Bible more. And they're probably thinking, man, I wish I would have thought of that, right? How about pray more? Pray more. You're going to have to forgive your husband. What does that mean? If they really knew what those things meant, they wouldn't need to talk to us. And when that's all we can say, it just probably means that we don't know either. So let me take one of those statements and show you how to make it not a platitude, okay? Read the Bible. Now, that's a platitude. That's, that's a, a cliché, right? Read the Bible. Most everybody knows they need to write, read the Bible more but they usually don't know how to do it. I was really glad Pastor Rick touched on this at uh, men's training um, as well. So the way to make this not a platitude, the way to make that instruction practical is to say, you know, you're really struggling and having a hard time right now, and it's because of this suffering that you're experiencing. You know what I think you should do? I want you to read one chapter of 1 Peter every day. You're going to to read one chapter of 1 Peter every day, and when you get to the end of it, go back and start reading from the beginning again. You'll read it through one and a half times by the time we get back together, and after every time you read a chapter, I want you to find two or three things that stand out. Something you're going to pray for, Something you have a question about. Something that surprises you. But I want you to write down two or three things every day. And I want you to pray about at least one of those things. You see, now read the Bible is not a platitude anymore. That's giving practical instruction. And then that's something you can actually talk about when you get back together. The next time. We have to be practical and helpful. That leads us to the last one, number 10. It takes preparation. As you can see, giving instruction isn't easy. It's not a quick fix. You have to work at it. We have to think through what's going on in people's lives. We have to pay attention to Scripture. We have to show up ready to say, say things that are helpful. It takes preparation. It's not easy. Well, I have four minutes, but that's the instruction part. I have four minutes, and we're going to move to homework. We give homework because you can't… They don't change in that half-hour meeting or one-hour meeting or two-hour meeting that you talk to somebody. People don't change. They can't change that quickly. Um, Most of the week is lived without you and your instruction and so we, need, we give homework that helps them throughout the week. Change, uh, we want people to actually change. Change isn't taught, change is an action, and so we need to give them uh, homework and it gives opportunity for change. So guidelines for homework, be specific. It's really the same as, as we've already talked about. Avoid platitudes when you're, when you, you wouldn't say you're uh, read Knowing God by J.I. Packer or Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. You would say, read a chapter a day, underline two things in the chapter we've talked about, come back, we'll talk again. Uh, um, You want to be practical um, because that's what you want to use to start talking next time. Uh, Be comprehensive. You want truth and action. You want to read the Bible. You want them to be listening to sermons. You want them to be reading books. But you also want them doing things. You want them to be asking for forgiveness. You want them to be praying. You want them to be serving someone. So we want to be comprehensive. We want to be relevant. This takes effort, this is, this is difficult. It takes a lot of effort. We want to be relevant. You don't just have them read Knowing God by J.A. Packer or Trusting God by Jerry Bridges because that's what you used last time you met with somebody. It's not just because of that. Don't just assign books to read or articles to read because somebody told you that that's good. Think through what this person is really, really struggling with. Think through it. Ask yourself if there's something you can give to this person with this particular struggle that would be helpful. Number four, explain why it's important. Explain why it's important. People are busy. They aren't looking for new things to do. If you don't explain why it's important, don't be surprised if they don't do it. Number five, review the homework. It's always, always review the homework during the time you're meeting with them. You're, you review because you don't believe, because you believe that what you ask them to do is important. You also want to hold them accountable. And people usually won't do what you don't review. All right, so let me close in one minute with assigned Scripture. That's the idea. Ideas for homework. Assign Scripture. Assign Scripture. You want people to read and interact with the Bible. You want people to read and interact with the Bible. So, assign Scripture. You want people to be able to talk with someone else about their interaction with the Bible. You want them to memorize Scripture. You want them to pray through a text of Scripture. So assign Scripture. Number two, assign other reading. You want them to read books, pamphlets, articles. You want them to read other things too about some other good people out there that have good things to say about these things. Number three, assign data, data gathering activities. Data ga, assign data gathering activities. If you're gonna help people, remember to avoid generalities and fight to gather particulars. So you wanna you wanted to develop specific lists. Those may be conflict lists, those may be habit lists. You could come up with lists on lots of things. You just wanna start getting them to, to give you data and, and it helps. It could be um, think lists, things that they're writing down that they need to meditate on in scripture and you're helping them with that, think through these p- specific things. It could be calendars. Maybe it has to, the, the problem or issue is dealing with laziness and you need to develop calendars and you're, you're la- asking them to list everything they do every hour uh, uh, and bring that to you as homework. Maybe it's just journals. Maybe it's worksheets of, and you could go on with any, anything. Data gathering activities. And then number four, assign practical assignments. Practical assignments. What I mean by that is assign things like date nights, assign acts of service, whether that's inside the church or outside the church, um, maybe you can assign interviews. Go, to, go at, interview somebody about a specific thing. Uh, go, I want you to attend so many services at Mission Row Bible Church, and I'd like for you to go to this specific Bible study, and I'd like for you to attend this specific training event, Practical Assignments. Those are some areas of counseling homework. You could come up with more ideas. You could come up with your own lists of things. These are just helpful things. But the reason we give it is because we want people to change. We want people to grow. We want people to not struggle in the areas where they're currently struggling. I was blowing through this really quick. Uh, I realized that. This is, this is where you've taken all of what we've gone through all summer long and we try to now take it and do something with all the material, all the information that we've, we've re- already received. This is the action. This is the, this is the doing part. And it's very difficult because this is now, it's you taking all of this information with per somebody sitting in front of you. But hopefully, all the information you've gotten this, this far, thus far this summer, um, we're not we're not trying to convince you that this is you that needs to do it. I tried to do that a little bit up front, um, in that you also are given this responsibility. It's not just the preachers. It's not just the teachers. It's all of us collectively doing that. All right, let's pray.